If you have your Bibles, go with us to Deuteronomy chapter 13 in the Old Testament. This is part two of our supernatural series, and we're investigating the possibility of God doing miracles at all, or if God continues to do those in the present day. And if you didn't bring a Bible, or if you don't have one, there should be one there on the seat next to you, and you can take that home. That's our gift to you. But um, this is the title of today's message, Miracle Mania and Guarding Against False Claims. If you're like me, you have heard a number of miracle claims, either individually or off of a show from television, or you've read it uh, in Reader's Digest, a miracle account. And often within our evangelical Christian context, We want to be very careful with what we believe. And there are questions from people who love Jesus and read His Word and say, Jeff, I believe that God can do all things. It's just that I want to know how do you deal with situations in which people say this is God working? How do I know between the true and the false. And we're going to look at three questions this morning, and we're going to walk through those. Those are in your outline. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I had the opportunity on Friday night to, through technology and through the iPhone, talk on FaceTime to my six-month-year-old nephew, Micah. And uh, some of you have seen pictures. I try not to be that uncle. I show you personally. Whenever you talk to me, I show you the pictures on my phone. But I said putting a whole PowerPoint of pictures of Micah in a sermon may be a little much. But it was so cool because he can see in the screen. He can see Uncle Jeff. I want to say that he remembers me, you know, it's been a lot, but I'm just, that's that's hopeful thinking there. And it was so cool that once you could tell his little six-month-year-old brain and eyes kind of hardwired into that screen, and he saw me, and he saw my movements and my voice and you know, all the, the weird noises that men would normally never make, except for when you talk to a baby, it kind of brings your maturity level down. And so it was so cool because he started to go for the screen. Just to go for the screen, it was like he was trying to hug the screen. He wanted to get his hands on this person that he sees speaking to him in this box. And he almost started crying because Josh was trying to pull the, the camera phone away because if Micah got a hold of it, the call would possibly be ended. And the more I thought about that, I said, you know, I pray that this series is not just a cognitive intellectual experience, but it spurs us and pushes us to say, Jesus, where are you? I want more of you. Amen? I want to be close to you I want you to hold me and to teach me. So that is the intent behind everything that we do in this series and on Sunday mornings. It is not just to fill us up with knowledge and with criteria, but it is to help us know Jesus Christ in a more special and intimate way so that we can love people even better. So go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then you can... um, Hold your place there, and then we're also going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. This is the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. 
If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul." You shall walk after the Lord and the, and your God. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 says very simply, test or examine everything, hold fast to that which is good. Now I need to make a, a statement here in regards to verse 5 in Deuteronomy chapter 13. You say, Jeff, man, you just read in the 21st century, in 2013 in the Western world, that if there's a false prophet in your midst, in your midst the Bible says that they shall be put to death. This was a specific command for a specific people in a specific time. It is not uh, our duty nor is our prerogative to be witch hunters in the church of Jesus Christ today. I want to make that very clear. This was for Israel, which was a theocracy. Um, and I, I do want to bring this to your mind. I want you to think and go with me on this because most of us have been so brainwashed by postmodern thought that says there is no truth. Just whatever works for you, that's cool. Uh, this works for me. Um, if there is such a thing as reality, hello, if getting, and y'all catching that? If reality is something that is real, we would do well to try to discover reality and not try to just conform reality to the way that we may feel about it, you see. If God is real and if His Word is true and if Jesus truly rose from the dead, and if there's only one way to escape hell and make it to heaven, then for a person to deceive people, go with me, to deceive people from finding the one true God, that is an error that has eternal consequences. So that's why God was so, was giving such stringent demands upon the people of the Old Testament, keep the faith Pure. If I, if, if this whole thing has been a joke, if I am truly not saved and this has just all been all about Jeff and a year from now I begin to teach you stuff that's not in God's Word and, and, and try to deceive you in some way, what, if that actually worked on some of you, my sin would be indescribable because it's one thing to hurt someone's body. It's one thing to be violent, but it's another thing altogether to deceive someone's soul. 
Just let that sink in if you have knee-jerk reactions when you read passages in the Old Testament that say, deal with false prophets in this manner. It's actually an evidence of God's mercy and not of His wrath. So here's two tests that are not in your notes because we only have a certain amount of room. Two tests that when someone tells you a prophecy they have, Number one, if it does not come to pass, if you just want to make a note in your notes, in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verses 21 through 22, the Bible says that if someone, simply put, if they say, uh, if they give a prophecy and it doesn't happen, they're a false prophet, don't fear them. But then, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, if they do give a prophecy and it happens, number one, Make sure that the, the the theological test works as well. Just because something happens, and this is going to be a little bit uh, eye-opening for maybe some of you that have been in church for a while, just because someone gives a prediction and that prediction comes true does not mean they're from the one true God. It has to pass the theological test. The theological test, very simply, is are they using this so-called miracle or this sign or wonder to pull you away from God or push you closer to Him? The main idea, and what we're going to look at this morning, is to test everything and hold fast to that which is good. And somebody said, now hold on Jeff, I was here last week and you mentioned that skeptics have bias, that atheists have bias, and that Christians have bias... But you're making the claim that Christian bias is better? Yes. Think about this. If you were an atheist, the only explanation you have is that occurrences in this world can be explained by natural law. Right? There is no God. There is no miracle. There is no nothing. It's just natural law, physics, and and, and gravity, and so forth. But, if you're a Christian... If you're a believer in the Lord, you say this this occurrence here could have a natural explanation, but also because God exists and He can do all things, it could have a supernatural explanation. So what often happens, Christians, is you get pushed into a corner, don't you? By being told that you are dogmatic, that you're narrow-minded, that you're closed-minded, that you're just a Bible-beating fundamentalist, but when in reality, your worldview that comes from God's Word is more open than that of an atheist. We all tracking together this morning? Once again, they only have one explanation for everything, but for us, we're open to God using His natural world and also God intervening in it as well. I don't know if you've seen that uh, the Sherlock Holmes movie where Lord Blackwood stages his death and it's like this this death and this what people thought was a resurrection and they, and they rigged the whole thing to have an appearance like he was actually some type of miracle worker who had power. In our world, in the Western world especially, we are skeptics, most of us. And then we're even skeptical of other things. Think of this. The last time someone tried to sell you something. Do most of us say, really, Mr. or Miss Salesperson? Tell me what you want to sell. I'm sure you have my best interests at heart, right? Don't you guys do that? Somebody calls you up on the phone that you didn't ask, telemarketer, when you go to try to buy a vehicle, and they come up, you know, 
you look really good behind this wheel. That's it. Really, sir? Are you saying that it's just me? Wow! And if that's the case, then you may want to talk to somebody. Your friends are not being honest with you because you are gullible. We are skeptics because we are sold stuff every single day, aren't we? And we always look for that fine little print that no one can read. So, so we have to understand before we deal with this subject of guarding against miracle mania, we've got to understand our own psychology and that many of us are just skeptical about anything. So somebody says, how central, Jeff, are miracles to Christianity? Well, it's been estimated that more than 31% of the verses in Mark's gospel involve miracles in some way. And that is over 40% of his narrative. So miracles are central to Christianity. I want you to think about this. If you don't believe miracles are possible, you cannot be a Christian. If miracles are not possible, then Jesus didn't raise from the dead. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then this whole thing is a stinking joke. It is. Let's just go home right now, beat everybody to Kentucky Fried Chicken this afternoon. This whole thing is simply not true. But if miracles are possible, and we use the reason that God has given us, the most reasonable explanation is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. You say, okay, Jeff, here's the first question. You've got it in the outline. You can walk through this with me if you'd like. Is it possible to know whether contemporary accounts of supernatural healings are true? Yes, and I'm going to leave you in some suspense. This is the commercial break for next week. Next week, we're going to look at some fascinating, medically verified accounts of God doing miracles, not just in Africa, not just in India, but here in the Western world as well. So I just want to put that out there um, to get you thinking about next week. Question number two. Is it possible for unbelievers to work miracles? Is it possible for people who do not believe in the Lord to actually do miracles? Well, we have several accounts, and you can write these down. In Exodus chapter 7, we have the accounts of the magicians there of Egypt who were able to replicate a couple of the things that God enabled Moses to do. There's also the account in 1 Samuel 28 of a seance. The witch of Endor, Saul the king goes to consult from a witch because God had left him because Saul had repeatedly left God. And this is what the text says. Many textual scholars try to get around it. But Samuel, the prophet Samuel, was actually called up and he appeared and was able to speak to Saul. Simon Magus in Acts chapter 9 was an unbeliever. A sketchy guy if there ever was one. And it was recorded that he had the ability to do certain things that could only be explained as supernatural. Here's what we have to understand. Number one, there is such a thing as a false prophet. Y'all with me, church? There is such a thing as a false prophet. And go with me here. If a false prophet never has anything work, if he or she is on a consistent fail blog for prophets on the internet... Who's going to follow them? Y'all locked in with me this morning? 
There's got to be some amount of legitimacy or a way to misunderstand it for a person to even be a false prophet. So number one, there is such a thing as a false prophet. Number two, some miracle workers will not make it to heaven. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22. Jesus says, there will be many who will say to me on that day, judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not, watch this, cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many wonderful works in your name. Let that sink in. There will actually be people who have worked miracles, been involved in supernatural things, who will stand before God and the Lord Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. Number three, there are some great signs and wonders that will be so powerful that even strong Christians are commanded to be on guard. This comes from Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24. And the Bible says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Revelation chapter 13, verse 13. The Bible speaking of the beast. This is in the time of the tribulation. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Once again, let's go back to our verse in Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 3. The Bible says that when a person prophesies and they try to bring you away from the one true God, the Bible says, For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So when someone comes with signs and wonders, and then after the smoke settles and we're thinking, okay, well what does this mean? And they say, what this means is Jesus is an angel. Don't believe it. Jesus is not an angel. Y'all alright this morning? Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus always has been. When someone comes and you're like, bro, I, I knew that guy and he had that sickness. And he went to this healer and now he's not sick anymore. So, I, I don't know. I don't know, Jeff. Something happened. Okay. Well, what was he told? Well, he was told that his healing was the result of the spirit guide of the healer. Spirit guides, New Age, palm readers, tarot cards. Folks, it is all trenched in demonism. We get i got to clarify some of this stuff because y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Alright? There is the power of God, but there is also, in this world, God has allowed Satan to have a certain amount of slack in his chain there are also other things that we as Christians are commanded to stay away from. That's why it's said in the Old Testament, even the articles that were used in demonic pagan worship, it's said to burn them. Don't have anything to do with that stuff. And I know some Christians, um, we, we, we think things like, uh, 
like Ouija boards or just, oh, it's, it's a fun seance. Or, or, or some, some Christians today say, well, I don't see any problem in watching certain movies and filling my mind and my heart with stuff that is absolutely to the core demonic. Like if you took a step back at it, and I'm not just picking on the horror films, but go with me on this line of reasoning. If you just took a step back, whether you're a fan or whether you're not, you're thinking, I think somebody had to have some help. We know that the human heart is sinful. We know that the human heart is depraved. I'm telling you guys, some of the stuff that is out there, why are we as Christians attracted to that stuff? We okay? Stay away from it. Number four, belief in false prophets and signs is God's judgment on those who have rejected the truth. Very powerful verse. Mark it in your Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12. The Bible says, "...the coming of the lawless one," which is speaking of the Antichrist, "...is by the activity of Satan, notice, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they have refused to love the truth and be saved." So notice, before we get to verse 11... The Bible's saying that God allowing the Antichrist to come on the scene and be very persuasive is only because people have rejected the truth. Now y'all tell me, if you consistently reject the truth, what else is out there? A lie. This goes back to a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about the hard heart. When a person rejects God and rejects God's truth, there is a point that God can give them over to a depraved mind. Say, you want to believe a lie? Here, your will be done. Verse 11, Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion or a confusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And you say, now Jeff, now what about miracle claims in other religions? Number one, and I would encourage you to imprint this on your mind and heart if you, if you wrestle with issues of doubt. Miracle accounts in the founding documents of every other major world religion is very, 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 very sparse. It's kind of like trying to find fiscal constraint in Washington, D.C. right now. It is very, very, very rare. And secondly, just because God may choose to show Himself in a non-Christian culture does not mean that God is not God. You see, Jeff, it almost sounds like we're saying there are other ways to God except for through Jesus Christ. Absolutely not. But we even find in God's Word that Balaam, who was a crooked prophet, God spoke through Balaam, and Balaam was in Canaan before the Israelites ever showed up. You see, because what can happen as Christians is we misunderstand so much about Christianity that when something may be reported or happens that we don't understand, we think that Christianity is not true. How do you know Christianity is true? Number one, foremost, above all, the witness of God's Holy Spirit inside your heart. Amen, church? The fact that you heard the Gospel and the God of the universe showed you, man, this... uh, Yeah, it's hard for you to give up your life, but this is real. And I love you, and I'm going to save you. Give your life to me. That moment and that change that has happened... 
But it's not just an experiential way that we know that Christianity is true. We look at all of the data, all of the evidence about the resurrection, and unless you've got serious, serious, biased prejudice issues against the thought of a God, you've got to come to the conclusion, and the conclusion usually brings you to your knees, that Jesus is the Son of God and He rose from the dead. The third question, how do we distinguish between the true and false? Most Christians today will admit what the Bible says is that there are false prophets and that Satan, through his false prophets, can work signs and wonders. It's those texts that we just read. And believe me, there's far more biblical evidence for that. So, okay, Jeff, we know that God can do miracles. We know that Satan can do some weird stuff. So how do we actually discern who's doing it? Number one. This is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Test the spirits. Here's the question. What does the miracle worker or the miracle working group say about Jesus? Note this text, Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. The Bible says, But if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. We have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you have received, let him be accursed. Here's a note from a Bible commentary. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, No prodigy or no brilliant so-called miracle worker No human authority, however great, should be allowed to shake their belief in the divine character and the truth of a faith that is so solemnly taught and awfully attested. In other words, what does the person say about Jesus? Once again, we know Jesus is real. Witness of the Holy Spirit. The evidence pointing to Jesus. But when someone's working miracles and they say this is the power of God, say, what are your thoughts on Jesus? Seriously, when when people say... You don't have to be like, what are your thoughts about Jesus? You can just, you know, what, what do you, what do you think about, what do you think about Jesus? You know, what, who is he? And if they give you an answer, which is often a Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible, you know that it is not to be trusted and it's not from God. Second question on how we, um, distinguish between the true and the false. Does the miracle glorify the miracle worker the miracle ministry, or does it glorify Christ? First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, test them, to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, here it is, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. So doesn't that kind of bring it down to a rather simple formula, church? What does the miracle worker, what does the miracle working group say about Jesus? You see... You can make your Christian walk a lot easier than trying to complicate it if we keep Jesus foremost and center of not just 
the way that we walk, but in the questions that we ask. And here's, I think, one of the most powerful questions. When a person says, I've had a vision, I had a dream, I had, I, I was healed of this. Whatever it may be, ask this question, what fruit has the miracle produced? We go back to Matthew chapter 7, beginning there in verse 16, where Jesus says, You shall know them by their fruits. Figs do not produce thorns, right? You shall know them by their fruits. In other words, if a person says, man, God gave me a vision. God gave me a dream. He's ga- he gave me some type of special gift or prophetic utterance. Ask the question, what has changed in your life since that took place? Has there been love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Has the fruit of the Spirit come into your life when that so-called God experience happened in your life? And you know what? I could admit this. I don't know whether some dreams and visions are true. And guess what? You can't either. Next week, we're going to look at the evidential cases. We're not going to look at dreams and visions. What we're going to look at is real stuff. Like spleens being there when they took the x-ray and the person needed one. They go back after intense prayer and fasting and there's a, there's a spleen. Medically, stuff that you're like, I don't, come next week. I'm telling you, this is from an academic press too. This is not from, you know, a Bible college uh, teacher or something like this. This is straight up legit academic PhD stuff, uh, peer reviewed. It's awesome. We're going to look at the evidential cases next week, but you're saying, Jeff, how do I know if this person had a vision or a dream? Well, ultimately, you can't because there's no way to test that. We're all on the same page. We can't know. But one thing that we can do is see the fruit in the person's life. Um, I think I've told you guys that it's been a long time. My mom was not raised uh, in a churched family. They didn't go to church very often. Her dad died when she was nine. And when she was 12, she went to, to VBS, Vacation Bible School. And by the way, I can't wait for VBS this year, church. Y'all ready for it? Hey, hey, last year was, was the most folks we've ever had, the most children. I cannot wait till the summer. It's going to be awesome. If you're looking for a place, I'm going to, I'm just plug this right now. I'm not even going to act like it's not a plug. I'm going to plug it. If you are looking for a place to serve, and if you, uh, love children, if you, if you want to work with our adults, uh, just talk to it, to Trish or to Morgan. They will get you hooked up a way to serve. And I think I just let the cat out of the bag because we weren't going to start advertising this for like next month. My bad. All right. So she went to VBS and she heard the gospel as a 12 year old girl. And she began to think about the gospel. And she says one night she had a dream. And once again, this is not entirely theologically accurate, but she said the dream was there were certain people. um, The rapture was happening and there were people who had believed in the Lord who were ascending. And called to the Lord. And there were other people who had not yet repented and given their life to Jesus Christ and they were sinking. And she looked and she saw herself sinking. Freaked her out. Woke up. Talked to grandmother. Grandmother didn't exactly know what that, what that was. And, um, then she was able to talk to someone from the church and they led her to faith in Jesus Christ. She later went on and went to seminary. She served the Lord. 
Uh, she taught me and my brothers God's Word growing up. I don't know if that was a, a genuine, real vision from God. But what I do know is that the fruit that it produced was the fruit of repentance. When I was in Central Asia on a mission trip, I spoke to a man who was raised as a Muslim. And he said that one of his friends, who was also raised Muslim, which most people are there if you're an ethnic person from that specific community, and he says his friend became a believer in Esau, which is the Arabic word for, for Jesus. And by the way, if you talk to a, a Muslim, they believe that Jesus is a prophet. It's pretty cool because it can give you a springboard to talk to them about Jesus. And every day his friend would pick him up going to work and his friend would preach the gospel to him. And this one guy named uh, the Adel, the, the guy that I met, he said he was there on a day off just, just by a river, and there's so many beautiful places in that area of the world. He says he was sitting by a river, no one around, very flat plains. Uh, and he says he was just sitting there thinking about life, you know, thinking about what his friend had told him. And then he noticed to his left, he says there was a man with a beard, with, with kind of like a flowing garment, like someone you would see from the Middle East. And he says, I knew at that moment that the message that my friend had told me about Isa, about Jesus, was true, and He was the Messiah. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He broke. If you've ever talked to a Muslim who's been raised in a traditional Muslim uh, environment with that culture, it is a horrific thing for them to break from that. But he broke from it, was disowned by his family, ended up finding a godly Christian woman there to marry as well. The other story that I would say uh, that caused me to think is uh, I was on a, a mission trip with the church that I interned with in, in Florida, Pensacola, Florida. It's Olive Baptist Church. And I think if I was at a Church of God or a Pentecostal church or charismatic church, y'all be jumping up and down right now, excited about what God's doing. But we got a bunch of Baptist folks here and they're like, I don't know. I don't normally hear sermons like this. Maybe, Pastor Joe, did you, did you make a late night run to Taco Bell and just stay up a little bit? I don't know what's going on. I'm not used to this, okay? But here's the thing. This guy on the trip, I, I don't know, I hope I don't, well, any, then again, we don't really worry too much about offending people anyway, Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. You know, sometimes when you talk to somebody and they are just the most chill, the most laid back person, like, you think if there was an asteroid coming to destroy the earth, and they saw it coming. Everybody else is having heart attacks, dying in the street, freaking out. They may say, run. Like that's as fired up as they get. Man, this, this guy, you know, work with his hands for a living. Just a, just a simple, kind-hearted, soft-spoken, probably had blood pressure that was to be envied. Just a chill, laid-back dude. Never in church that I see him, you know, praising worship and he's, you know, doing this. Just, just, you know, open the hymnal, look on the screen, chill. Alright? He said that before he was saved, he was a lost member of a Methodist church. Which there's a lot of lost people that are members of churches all over the U.S. regardless of denomination. People who come, but people who've never had a heart change that has resulted in a life change. But he said, I went with my church. He says, and I thought I was okay with God. He said, I thought I had been saved. He said, but they encouraged us when they had a breakout session. It was this, this beautiful wooded retreat. They were told to go find a place alone and just, just meditate on Scripture and pray and ask that God would, would, would guide them. Sounds pretty simple, right? 
He said he was sitting down over by a pond and he said he was, he was praying, he was meditating, God, please, please help me and, you know, whatever needs to happen in my life. And he says, I looked up and he says, not too far on the side of the pond, I looked up and he says, it was full size. He says it was, had to be Jesus on a cross. He said, I looked away, I looked back, he says, it was there. Full size, just like it was really happening. He says, I saw a vision right there of what I believe Jesus on the cross. And he says, in that moment, God spoke to me, not audibly, but said, you've never truly trusted in my son. And he says, I broke. He says, I cried tears of repentance. I cried out to God and he says, I was changed. He says, that's the point that I was born again. Now, is what he really saw, was that really there? Once again, there's no way for us to test that. There's no way for us to empirically test my mom's dream. There's no way for us to test my friend from Central Asia's vision that he said that he saw there by that beautiful river. But all three of them had the fruit of repentance that happened afterwards. Someone gives you a report about a so-called miracle. You say, number one, if you're making a prediction, did it come true? If it didn't come true, your faults. Secondly, if it did come true, what do you say about Jesus? Once again, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 3, that it is a test that God is allowing us to go through to test our resolve on whether we're going to be enamored by all of these so-called miraculous things or whether we'll stay faithful to Jesus. Even if it happened, what do you think about Jesus? And then finally, what fruit has this produced in your life? And I will just admit this to you. I think my upbringing, and I'm very thankful for that, was taught God's Word, raised in all the churches that I've ever been a member of, is Baptist. And I met a guy a few weeks ago who who is not a, a Christian at all, and um, he's like, "Now you're 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 pastor of the the Baptist? You, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if you ever have those conversations where people kind of say something a certain way. They're like." Really? He's like, you're a pastor of the, the, the Baptist church in Rocky Mountain? I was like, I know. And we're Southern Baptist. How bad is that? And he just laughed, you know. And so here's the thing. All of my experience has been within conservative evangelical Christianity. But I do believe, and this is just Jeff, and I would encourage you to think about these thoughts until we come back together next week. But let's not get to the place in our Christian life to where we think that God is finished with doing things that are supernatural. I know for far too long in my life I have cut God short in my prayers. I have cut God short in what I believe that He could do within churches that I'm serving. I'll just let you guys know. This is our authority. As long as I'm the pastor here, this is what we will teach and what we will preach But let's just open ourselves to saying, God, you could do something that I previously had never thought possible. I believe that you can save my lost family member. I believe you can save my dad, my mom. God, I believe that you can do all things. So let's begin to pray for it. You say, Jeff, once again, you said it was all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Ask him the question, what do you think about Jesus, the so-called miracle worker or group? And in your praying and in the way that we live, may we make much of Jesus.